this morning I want to start a series that I think will be appropriate for us for this time. We're in the first month of a new year. I think for many of us as individuals and as couples and as parents and as students and as young adults and as families, as a church, in our ministering together, in our education, in our careers, in our relationships, I believe this could be the year. I think this could be the year that marks a new beginning. Maybe a turning point. Maybe there's a landmark decision just around the corner for you. Maybe there's going to be a moment in time this year where you'll one day look back and say, yeah, that was it. That was my moment. That's when things began to change. That's when things went to a new place. That's when things went to a new level. That's when I got uh, clarity. That's when I stepped out in obedience. That's when I embraced this crazy and exciting and messy journey. That was my defining moment. I believe that for many of us, this could be the year. A defining moment is that moment or those moments in our lives when we come face-to-face with the truth that either we didn't know or truth that we had previously kind of or maybe purposely forgotten, you know, or truth that had just kind of gotten blended in with all the stuff of life. And suddenly we're faced with truth that comes front and center. And as a result of seeing this for the first time or seeing it in a new way at the right time or our lives begin to be transformed forever, our perspective is changed, it's transformed, our view of God, our view of relationships, our view of friends, our view of whatever is transformed forever. That's a defining moment. Sometimes it's a truth that we've never heard before. Someone just presents it to us and and we just know immediately that that is true. And and suddenly becomes a lens through which we view all of life. Sometimes it's a truth that we were raised with, but it had become an inconvenient truth, a truth that interfered with our lifestyle, a truth that interfered with our goals and our dreams. And even though we knew it was true, we just kind of set it aside because we didn't want to bring it front and center because it got in the way. Sometimes it's a truth that we just got so busy and we got distracted and we allowed life to just kind of shuffle our priorities and we lost sight of it. Then there's that moment, there's an incident, there's a tragedy, there's a conversation. Suddenly it's like, you know, boom, there it is, front and center, and we can't ignore it. And if we are wise enough to embrace it and courageous enough to embrace it, our lives can be transformed. But the problem for most of us, the problem is there are some truths that we just don't want to know. There are some truths that we would rather not know. There are truths that we wish we didn't know. There are some truths, some of them that we're unaware of, uh, some of them that we are aware of and have put off to the side. You just, you just don't want to know because they bother you, they bother me, they're inconvenient. I mean, let's face it, for those of us who are parents, we don't really want to find out that our kids aren't as wonderful as we think they are, do we? I mean... Somebody saw them do something and somebody heard them say something and the teacher called and the neighbor called and, you know, and and whoever called and I don't want to have that conversation. Do you? I mean, leave me with the illusion that they're perfect and I don't really need any more information and that's one reason we don't have defining moments sometimes because we don't want that kind of truth. For those of you who are single or maybe after being married for a long time, you find yourself single again and you finally find the love of your life, you thought... And all of a sudden, information begins to kind of trickle down to you from their family or from people who've known them for a long time. And and you don't want to believe what you're hearing 
because you want to believe that he's perfect for you and you want to believe she's perfect for you. Surely this, isn't, this, this, this has to be God's will for your life, you know? you know? And I just don't want to know. I just don't want to listen to what these people have to say. I want to move on because to hear what you have to say, this truth might mess up my dream and my plan. So we tend to, to shove truth to the side. Or maybe you're married You've seen this in other couples or maybe in your own marriage when someone's kind of waving a red flag and things are beginning to happen that indicate that your marriage isn't what you thought it was, that he's not as devoted to you as you thought he was, she's not as committed to you as you believe that she is. You just don't want to know. I'm not going to listen to these warning signals. I'm not going to have these conversations. So just let me believe that everything's wonderful. I, I really prefer not to know. Maybe you've seen this in your finances. There's something about finances that we just want to believe that everything's okay. I mean, don't mess up the illusion that I'm doing all right, you know, so you don't open your mail, right? Because right. if you don't see the bill, then maybe you don't have to pay the bill. And I've seen people operate that way. It blows my mind, you know, because if I don't open the bill, maybe I don't have to pay the bill, and then I don't know how deep I'm in, so maybe I'm not in that deep after all. And you present yourself to others as though things are wonderful, but it's really irrational. In order for things to be what they need to be in a family, in a marriage, in a dating relationship, in a work environment, in a church, we need to have all the cards on the table. But there's something in you and there's something in me at at times in our lives that says, I just don't want to know. Because maybe, just maybe, if I ignore the truth long enough, maybe it won't be the truth. Maybe we can just set that aside. No, it, maybe if I ignore the facts long enough, they won't be facts anymore. Maybe if I can focus on what I've created as reality, uh, maybe that might become reality, and we convince ourselves that that could work that way. It's why some people don't want to go to the doctor. Because they think they, they might know what the problem is, and they've done their research, and they, it's pretty obvious to them that there's something going on, but if somehow you don't get an actual diagnosis, then maybe you'll escape the effects of whatever you have going on. Or maybe if you don't get the facts, the facts will just go away. So we ignore what we know in our peripheral. We know it's true, but we ignore it. And although it's not rational, that's often exactly how we respond to life. And you know this as well as I do, that that kind of approach to family, that kind of approach to marriage, that kind of approach to business, that kind of approach to your personal finances, that kind of approach to relationships and friendships, that kind of approach to your health, that kind of approach to church life, never leads anywhere good, does it? It never leads anywhere healthy, and it never leads anywhere that's honest. I know of families, and you probably do too, that suddenly, suddenly out of nowhere just imploded because mom and dad didn't pay attention to the warning signals. There are couples who get married, and six months into the marriage, they realize that they aren't where they thought they were, and the truth is they saw the warning signals long before the wedding day, but they just didn't want to acknowledge it. Companies, especially in the last few years, in the last 15 years, have have completely fallen apart, and the executives that were celebrating their way and partying their way into bankruptcy, because they wouldn't face the facts, because we all want the illusion that I know all that I need to know, and things are fine. Things are fine. Things are fine. Don't worry about it. It'll work out. Things are fine. Here's where we're going to go for the next few uh, weeks. 
just as it's never productive to ignore the truth in your marriage, it's never productive to ignore the truth about who you're dating. It's never productive to ignore the truth with your kids or your finances or your business in the same way to turn a blind eye to what is true about your Heavenly Father never leads to a good place either. So I want to start there. Because one thing we have in common, even though I'm the pastor, which means I'm a professional Christian and I always do everything right, and I never have any doubts or anything like that. I never struggle with this kind of stuff. Um, anyway, we all have something in common. We have so much in common that you... Uh, you when you discover how much we have in common, you might not come back. You might think, why are you the one on a microphone then? Listen, like you, I, in my mind, have a picture of what I'd like God to be like. I have a picture of that. It's pretty clear to me. And I work very hard at that picture. I put a lot of time into creating the God that I want God to be. And I, I know what I want God to be like. And when I run into parts of Scripture, this is the thing about reading your Bible, that... I run into parts of Scripture that seem to indicate that God's not the way that I want God to be. It bothers me, and I have to wrestle with that. And uh, some of you are the same way. Some of you have had those conversations, you know, and, and sometimes when we hear the truth, we're like, but I don't want God to be like that. I don't believe that that's true about God. Uh, but we don't uh, come to those kinds of conclusions based on research. We, we come to those conclusions based on what we're comfortable with. Well, I'm comfortable with this, you know, and so therefore, I don't even want to begin to acknowledge that this might not be true because it wrecks my whole life and my view and my lens through which I view things and it wrecks my theology and it wrecks my peace and it wrecks my rationale for my behavior and my expectations of God and how I make choices and I just don't want to believe that God is any way other than the way that I've created him to be. So anyway, um, I put together, uh, I, I got thinking about the last few years and how uh, the picture I've created of God. So I went back a little bit, and uh, so I come up with this uh, God according to Todd, and uh, think about writing a book. So, <laughs> please don't write this down. Okay? You have your own list, you do. You're just not putting it up on a screen, recording it, and putting it out there for the world to hear. You got your list. Here's what mine looks like. First of all, this is God according to Todd. First of all, God won't let anything bad happen to my family because physical protection is God's number one concern. God, the way I want God to be, I want him to be absolutely committed to my physical protection, to the protection of my wife and my kids and my extended family. This is God's number one concern, our protection and our safety. It's the number one thing that he stays up all night worrying about this for us to make sure that we are safe. So that's number one, God according to Todd. Number two, God will assure that my kids are successful. Of course, as, as I define successful. And that they stay on track, as I define that. Because, after all, we're good parents, and, and that's what we, we've been asking for all these years. And, I mean, we've stacked up so many prayers in this category that God would not dare allow them to stray off track or to make poor choices in terms of their future, their education or their career or their relationships. So, and this is just how I want God to be. So I thought this would, should make the list. Here's one I also believe, or I should say I used to believe, and then um, not so much anymore, but, um, but there are times it does apply. Number three, God is intensely interested in the outcome of youth hockey games. <laughs> I used to believe this. I mean, when Ben was playing uh, youth hockey, it was like 2005, I, and, and, I, and I was like, you know, I, God, I know... I'm standing in this rink, and, and it's, it's 
really freaking cold, and my coffee is not warm anymore. And there, I know, God, there's a war in Iraq, and I know that like a couple hundred thousand people just died in a tsunami. But God, couldn't um, you send somebody else to deal with that for today? Because Ben's about to take the face off here. So if you could just kind of pay attention to this right now, that'd be great, because I'd like for this to be the shift that he needs to have. So that'd be great. And not only that, you know, would you please do that, but would you ignore all the prayers of the people on the, of the parent, the kids on the other team, okay? The people on the other, down the bleachers that I won't talk to because they're the enemy. Uh, would you please ignore their prayers? And because, uh, you know, anyway, because, you know, my son's self-esteem is on the line and I like to live vicariously through him. And so that would be important too. So, um, uh, and, and, and I believe that God is up there while I'm praying. I was like, shh, shh, Todd, I'm watching the game. Leave me alone. You know, I got... There's stuff, I gotta leave me alone here. Tell the president he'll have to wait. Um, Ben's on the ice. So, anyway, that, yeah, I don't know where we are. Number four, my sins, <laughs> my sins aren't that big a deal to God. This is God according to Todd. My sins aren't that big a deal to God because he has bigger concerns in the world. My sins, my habits, my issues, I'm not gonna say sins, my mistakes, my poor choices. <laughs> God is like, come on, Todd, don't sweat it. Nope. I know you keep coming back to me and you confess this stuff, but it's not a big deal. I've got bigger fish to fry. Don't worry about it. And I'm like, that's right. Right on, God. I'm with you on that one. Exactly. I agree. My sins, because they didn't really hurt anybody. Um, I'm a little bit inconsistent sometimes, but God's got to be going, yeah, but, you know, on the scale, you're a pretty good guy. So uh, let's move on to that tsunami thing. Let's take care of that. He's not con- too concerned about my sins. Uh, and you don't think he's too concerned about yours either, so don't be laughing at me. Um, that's why we keep doing them, isn't it? That's not even what I'm preaching about today. Uh, my last one, uh, my last observation I made about God, according to Todd, it has to do with hell. And here's how uh, my God views hell, that basically nobody I know goes there. In the end, there must be some loophole somewhere. I mean, there has to be some loophole somewhere, God, for all of my friends for extended family, for people I do life with. Of course, the loophole isn't available to everyone. That's why we do this church thing. Um, especially not available to a certain category, you know, a couple categories of people, you know who they are, that I personally believe deserve to suffer in a lake of fire forever. And, uh, you know, those people on the other end of the bleachers. So uh, there are people... <laughs> this is embellished, you get it, but... When I read scripture or when I uh, hear messages and suddenly there's a contradiction or all of a sudden uh, here comes new truth coming right at me. Here comes some truth that I've ignored for a long time. Here comes truth that messes up with my view of how things work and how God works in our world. There's something in me and there's something in you that says, no, 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 no. I don't want to believe that. That can't be true. That can't be right. I don't want to, no, let's just not even hear that because I don't want to deal with that. I'm not arguing that it's not truth, but I'm not saying that it is because I'd rather not deal with it. Um, I'm trying not, I'm not even trying to be rational here. Can we just not have this conversation? I just don't want to believe that that's true. So we can just, can I change the channel? Here's the problem. Did you know that with every distortion about God, there's a corresponding consequence? With every distortion about God, there's a corresponding consequence. With every distortion that I have and every distortion that you have in our view of God, there is a corresponding consequence. Every time that we are wrong and refuse to face the truth about God, we pay a price in some area of our lives. We pay a price in some area of our relationship with God. 
If you believe, as some people do, that everything, that every time something bad happens to you, that that's God punishing you, if that's what you believe, then you'll never really trust your Heavenly Father. You'll never trust that He knows what He's doing and that He has a reason. If you believe that your routine, the way that you approach God, uh, that you pray a certain prayer and you assume some position and you go to church to go through the motions to somehow please God, you know, you're, you have a little routine, a little religious routine, and you think that that keeps God at bay, you know, you know, God's like, oh, I better leave her alone. She did her routine. He did his routine again. All right, all I can do is bless him. All I can do is answer his prayers because he never misses his Sunday routine. They got their little religious routine going down, so I got to just bless him. If you approach God that way, the consequence of that is you'll never have a real personal relationship with God because you're too focused on your routine. If you believe that you have to have all the answers to all your questions before you can really trust God, it's like, yeah, I got 12 questions answered. That's this been a pretty good year. I got 12 questions answered. I got like 20 more, and some of them I didn't even have last year this time, so I'm not sure when this list is going to end. So, but as soon as I get all my questions answered, as soon as there is no more mystery to this thing, as soon as I understand everything that there is you know, for us to know about God, then I'll trust him with my life. As long as you believe that, as long as you believe that you have to know everything and that there is to know in order to trust him and have all your questions answered, you'll never, ever find faith and peace. If you believe that God heals all illnesses, you will live with a very deep-seated sense of disappointment with God when he lets you down, because he will. If you think you can get to heaven on your own merit, not only will you be disappointed along the way in life as you scramble around to try to figure out where you are on the balance, whether the good has finally outweighed the bad, you will be deeply disappointed someday when you are face-to-face with your creator and discover that it wasn't about what you've done or planned to do. It's something entirely different. So if you're here today and you say, well, I've, I've done things that are so bad, I'm not sure I could ever be forgiven. As long as that's what you believe about your Heavenly Father, you will never find forgiveness because you'll never, and you'll never find peace. See, for every distortion that we, that we have about God, there's a corresponding consequence. And as long as you and I live in the world of, I don't want to believe that's true, I'm pretty comfortable right here with what I believe about God. As long as we're there, we live with the consequences of approaching or attempting to approach God, not based on who he is, but based on who we so desperately want him to be. The interesting thing is, This is exactly the world that Jesus walked into. When Jesus shows up on the scene and when you read the the Gospels, this becomes very clear. When Jesus showed up, you know what he said? He said, one of the reasons I'm here, one of the reasons I'm here is to explain God to you. Because you are so confused about God. And Jesus said, listen carefully, because this is as close as you're going to get. Here's the good news. God didn't send a prophet. God didn't send a tablet of stone. God didn't whisper in the dark. God decided to do everything necessary to reveal himself to mankind because he so desperately wants a relationship with us. So Jesus says, here I am, God in a body, and to know me is to know the Father. And to listen to me is to listen to the Father. And to get your arms around what I'm teaching is to begin to understand what God is really, truly like. And he walked into an environment where they believed that if you were rich, you had God's blessing, uh, you could do no wrong, and you, if you were poor, you were clearly cursed by God. That's what they, that was the prevailing thought in religious circles. He walked into an environment where if you were sick, it was because your parents sinned. 
He walked into a day and age where the Jewish leaders basically believed that God was a racist, that God was exclusively going to bless one nation. He could care less about the others. He walked into a day and age in a culture where people viewed God as totally mysterious, as a puzzle to figure out, you know, where you dare not call him father, you dare not call him even by name. Don't he, he was simply just a God, and, and, and so removed was God that they couldn't even communicate with him directly. And into that world of confusion, Jesus showed up, and he began to teach, and he began to have conversations with people. And in these conversations, people would say, never heard that before, even though it's so different from anything I've ever heard before, and even though it's so different from what my parents taught me, and even though it's pretty uncomfortable, and even though I don't really know how to apply it because it's so new, or how to get my mind around it, when Jesus spoke, people were amazed. And the Bible says he spoke as one having authority. And they found themselves wanting to embrace what he taught, even though it was intensely uncomfortable, at times very impractical, not something you could ever attain to, and yet many, instead of running away, embraced him with all of their confusion, with all of their doubt, but with all of their heart. If you have your Bible, I'd like you to turn with me to the book of John. We're going to look at two or three verses that probably summarizes better than any other verses in Scripture. I'm really just using this morning and this passage as a springboard to take us where we're going over the next few weeks. John uh, chapter 8. Here's how, here's how Jesus wrapped this up in terms of defining moments. John 8, in these verses, these are verses, by the way, that are quoted all the time. And next time you hear someone quote this verse, ask them who said it, and number one, and number two, where it is in the Bible. Uh, and what you'll discover is there, this is a verse or a phrase that is quoted out of context uh, all the time and uh, shouldn't be used the way it's used, like 90% of the time. And yet it is one of the most powerful powerful things that Jesus ever said, again, because Jesus came into this world to reveal to us what God is all about and what God is really like. And this is what the people that Jesus was talking to, uh, this is what they discovered. They discovered that although so much of what Jesus taught was uncomfortable and and sometimes bordered on offensive, uh, and even though so much of what Jesus taught meant that they would have to break with what they had been raised to believe, even though they knew that to embrace what Jesus taught uh, meant that they'd have to break with some of their tradition, what these people discovered was this. If, as they were willing to embrace the truth that Jesus taught, in other words, as they allowed God to bring some truths front and center, those new truths would transform their lives. Here's how Jesus said it. John chapter 8, verse 31. It says, to the Jews who had believed him, there's, so there's a group of Jewish people who had already said, we believe you. We believe you're from God. We believe you are who you say you are. We believe you're the Messiah, and we believe you're the Son of God. We believe that. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold, and your Bible might say abide, depending on the translation, but if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. So here's what he's saying. And this is so incredible. This word hold means to abide or to dwell in or to live right there. And he says, even though it's uncomfortable at times, and even though you don't understand it at times, and even though it doesn't seem to be taking you where you want to be, and even though it seems so impractical and countercultural, if you will pause, if you will abide, if you will 
Just stay here. If you allow my teaching to wash over you, if you allow my teaching to penetrate your heart, and if you will be, for a short time, a sponge and just absorb what I'm teaching you, he says, even though you're thinking, you know, how are we going to do this? What does this even mean? Where does this fit? What is this all about? If you will absorb my teaching, he says, and my word, then you're truly my follower. So let me illustrate it this way. I think what he's saying to them right here is it's kind of like being in a, in a very, very dark room. We could have illustrated this real easily today because this room can get really dark. And you open the doors and you walk out into the sunlight. What happens? What happens? Can you see? After you sneeze, which some of us do because we have photic sneeze reflex. And uh, does anybody else do that? Or are we the only ones? Does anybody else do that? Just me and Aaron and Dad. And oh, Carrie does it too. Okay, cool. Thank you. Uh, we're going to have a support group for people who sneeze in the sun. You step out of the darkness. And you step into the bright sun like today. I mean, today is a perfect illustration of this. In fact, if I were to just open that curtain just a little bit, there's a reason why when people walk through the curtain, when we're standing up here facing this way, it, we look, I look away because it hurts my eyes because it just intensifies that light. And if you open the whole thing, it's fine. You open a little sliver and it's like a light shining right in our face. And you close your eyes and you squint and you look away because it's kind of painful. It's like the easiest, most comfortable thing to do would be just trying to turn around and go back inside into the darkness. Because in the dark, my eyes have adjusted. I, I spend a lot of time in this building by myself and I don't often bother turning lights on because I spend a lot of time right up there in the tech room. And I can pretty much find anything in this room in the dark just with the LED light that comes off of some equipment up here. You know what I mean? Because my eyes have adjusted. And when my, I've been in the dark long enough, my eyes have adjusted. I can see everything that I need to see. Everything makes perfect sense. But when I walk out into the light, or somebody rips the curtain open, I'm, I'm, I can't see anything. I'm blinded by the light, and I have one of two options. I can retreat into the darkness, get this now, or I can abide, I can remain, I can stay in the light until eventually my eyes adjust to the light, because they will. And then in that moment, I can see things maybe that I'd never seen before, and I can see in that moment what otherwise I would never see. Here's what Jesus is saying, and this is what he said throughout his ministry. That when you're first exposed to who I am and what I teach, it's like a blinding light. It's like a blinding light to a man who's been in the darkness. And it's like, whoa, I don't understand that. I've never heard that before. I've never thought about that before. I've never heard it presented that way. I can't really get my mind around this. I can't even see what's going on here. I don't know where you're going. I don't know what the purpose is. I mean, in the dark, I can see what I need to see to get by it, but this doesn't make any sense. This is uncomfortable. And Jesus would say to us, well, let's just slow down. Whoa, 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 slow down. Just slow down. Because if you will abide, if you will hold to, if you will trust, if you will remain in the light, if you'll continue as offensive as it might be, in time, your eyes, your spiritual eyes will adjust and you'll have that aha moment. You'll have that defining moment. And suddenly what was offensive and made you want to retreat to the dark has potential to change you. And he says this thing that we've heard uh, so often, and um, now that it's in context, listen to the power of these words. Verse 32. Then, actually, let's say that word together. Then, because this is the key word, because we pull these words out of context all the time, applying to things that they have nothing to do with. 
Then is the key word, because he says, after you've allowed my teaching to penetrate your heart, after you've stayed there and continued to read and to think and to let this get inside of you, even to be in a place where I don't get it, I don't understand it, I don't think it makes any sense, but after all of that, then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Then you'll know. You'll know. It's like, I get it. It makes sense now. I understand. My eyes have adjusted just enough. I can see it. I'm beginning to understand that to argue and to say no and to argue, you know, about my mom said and my grandmother said and my daddy said and my old pastor said and my professor said and my friends think, instead of doing all that, instead of retreating to what is comfortable and what I've always known, I realize that as I remain and hold to the truth, I'm beginning to see things I've never seen before and I'm beginning to understand things I've never understood before. Here's the promise. He says, then you'll know the truth, and the truth has the power and the potential to set you free. Freedom isn't about a magic prayer that you pray. Freedom isn't about a routine that you lock into. Freedom is about abiding. It's about remaining. It's about holding. It's about staying right there in the uncomfortable, penetrating light until your eyes begin to adjust and you're able to see what you've never been able to see before. And here's what you'll ask, as many of us have come to ask, that why did I spend so much time in the darkness? Why did I spend so much time comfortable back here in the shadows? The interesting thing is this, that the people Jesus was talking to, they're kind of like, What? You're saying, what now, Jesus? That's bright. That is, wow, that is, that is bright. What is that? I can't see a thing. And they answered him in verse 33. They said, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? You just said the truth will set us free. What do you mean set us free? We've never been slaves to anyone. <laughs> and if you know your Bible at all, Jesus is going, hello. Um, you ever heard of Rome? Because, like, you're slaves now. You're slaves right now. No, 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 we're Abraham's descendants. We, we've never been slaves to anyone. This is so different, Jesus. It's like, people, where do you think the Jewish nation started? Ever heard of Egypt? Remember a guy by the name of Moses? Remember the plagues, Red Sea, the whole deal? Remember that? Oh, but we're Abraham's descendants. We've never been slaves to anyone. It's just too bright. It's too bright out here. It's too uncomfortable. Let's go back. Let's go back. Well, how about 70 years in Babylonian captivity? How about 400 years, the Persians, then the Romans, then the Greeks, march up and down and just, just destroy Palestine? You guys have been slaves since the very beginning. Oh, that is so bright, Jesus. Let's go inside. Come on, guys, let's go inside. This is too bright. How could they be so blind, we wonder? I'll tell you why. The same reason you are and the same reason I am. Because there are things we don't really want to know. There are truths that we don't really want to face. When it comes to God, there are truths I really don't want to bring front and center. And we as much as say that to God. God, I don't want, to, I don't want this truth to come front and center because they bother me. And I'm not arguing about whether or not they're true. I'm sure they're true. But just please don't mess up my world with the truth. I've been working really hard on this. I've, I've got this whole God according to me thing. And I've grown pretty accustomed to living in the shadows and in the shade and in the darkness. One day this guy comes to Jesus, and uh, he's a well-known teacher in this culture. And he came to Jesus at nighttime, and Nicodemus uh, says, uh, Jesus, we know you're good. We see this. You're doing all these miracles that really are for the good of other people. 
The stuff you're teaching, though, we don't know. We, I, I, I know you're good, but I'm caught in the middle. And he starts this conversation, and Jesus says, Nick, if, if you're ever going to enter the kingdom of heaven, you've got to be born again. To which Nicodemus is like, what? That, now, that is, that is so bright. That is so bright, Jesus. I don't get this. How can a grown man be born again? That doesn't make any sense. This is so bright. You know what Nick did? He stayed in the light. We find out over time that as his eyes adjusted, this teacher of the law was willing to let go of what he'd always believed, and he embraced the truth, and he was changed. One day Jesus had this encounter with a man named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus made uh, lots and lots of money through dishonesty and deception and greed. And Jesus went into this man's home and he showed him the light. And instead of kicking Jesus out, he stays in the light for a while until his eyes adjusted and he became the most generous man in his community and lives were changed. One day they brought a, a woman to Jesus and they said she was caught in adultery. She was caught with a man who's not her husband and the law says we stone her. So Jesus, what do you say? And Jesus brought out his light and this woman is standing there and she, Jesus knows her story and he says you are absolutely guilty and you are absolutely forgiven. And the people who are standing around there are like, how did he put those two things together? We've never heard that. It's too bright. Let's go back inside. Let's get out of here. And this woman's life was changed. On the cross, there's a man crucified next to Jesus. And this guy had done such horrible things against society that he couldn't even be trusted as a slave. So they decided to put him to death. And he says in his dying moment, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And the people on the ground must have laughed. Because when you're on a cross, it doesn't make any sense to say, well, from now on, I'm... I'm turning over a new leaf. I'm rededicating my rededication of my dedication. When you are nailed on a cross and you only have a few agonizing hours to live, promises and rededication mean nothing. And he says to Jesus, would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And everybody's going, I'm so sure. Yeah, because, yeah, okay, this is going to be quite a kingdom. And Jesus turns his face towards him and says, today you'll be with me in paradise. And the crowd is like, that's too bright. Well, that is too bright. It's too bright out here. Let's go back inside. I think what we're, going to, what we're going to discover together for the next few weeks as we look over the shoulders of some great biblical characters, as we listen into some of their conversations, is that for the most part, these were men and women who decided to do what I hope that we'll all do. They remained in the light until their eyes just began to adjust, and then they had an aha moment, and their lives were changed forever. I know this is difficult stuff because it's so different from what we think we want, it's different from what we want God to be. It's not what your grandma and your old pastor said God was like. And my challenge as we go through the series, instead of going back inside and retreating to the darkness, instead of arguing our way back through that and through this series, instead of going, yeah, but, yeah, Todd, but what about, but Todd, I don't, but I don't understand, but what about, would you just pause and say, Heavenly Father, I need to be set free. And if knowing the truth means I'll be set free, and if knowing the truth means I'll have to sit down through some uncomfortable truth, even though I don't know what to do with it, I'm going to stay in the light until my eyes adjust. The promise of our Savior is that you'll be set free. Some of you from guilt, some of you from shame, 
Some of you from this unhealthy fear of God. Some of you from anger at God and just about everybody else. Some of you from disappointment with God. Some of you who wonder, can you really know anything? Can you really trust God without knowing everything that there is to know, without having all my questions answered? You can be set free from that. The challenge for you and the challenge for me for these next few weeks as we listen to these conversations is will we remain, will we stay in the uncomfortable light until God in his grace allows our eyes to adjust? Will we just press pause and stay right there? I think one of the most powerful examples of this is I think about our church as when I get to hear your stories, and we don't do a very good job of sharing those stories with you, we're going to figure that out. Sometimes it's through a baptism, sometimes through an email or a card, sometimes through a conversation over coffee, sometimes just through watching your family and watching your relationships and watching the way you conduct yourself and watching the influence that you're gaining. What your story is, bottom line, is that once I was blind, but now I can see. Once I didn't get it, I didn't even know that there was anything else to understand because I had my own list and my own definitions and I had my own ideas. But I went to this church and I heard some songs and I was moved in my spirit and I heard a message and I was challenged intellectually and I was given a book and I read that and I read some of the Bible for the first time and somebody spoke some truth and instead of arguing, instead of responding, yeah, but, instead of pushing it aside because I don't know if I even want to know that, In that moment, there's that, aha, I see it. And your life begins to change. That's the process that our Heavenly Father wants to continue every day of our lives in us as we learn to abide in His truth and to allow His truth to set us free. Listen to this song. I woke up in darkness Surrounded by silence So where Where have I gone? I woke to reality Losing its grip on me Oh where Where have I gone? I can see the light Before I see the sun Took me so long 